We'll be in verses 7 to 12 this morning. Uh, just a bit of context to remind you that we have gotten to this part in Romans 7. Romans 7, you can look at it as a guide to the necessity of the gospel and, and how one is made right before God. And then when we get to chapter 6 and 7, he is talking about our relationship to the law of God. And I would just reiterate the importance of understanding the law of God, that the gospel and God's grace uh, doesn't wipe away the law. In fact, if, if that's how you think, you should just start with the gospel of Matthew and read through it, and you can see in Matthew how vitally important the law of God was to Jesus. He had to fulfill everything in it. Um, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and even the civil law. In chapter 6, he uses these three different illustrations. The first uh, is the most powerful. You are joined to Christ. You belong to him. You're unified with him. And so when we sing it's your breath in our lungs, it's the Christian's way of just saying, everything that I have, everything that I claim, every hope that I have comes as this result that God Almighty has allowed the Son, the third person of the Trinity, second person of this Trinity, to come <laughs> and take our place and wrap himself around us and, and present us in him in everything. And so he talks about the, the just as, as Christ was dead, as he died on the cross, so your sins have died just as Christ was resurrected, that you are now raised to new life. And so you'll see that not just here, but in most of Paul's writings and in Peter too, that there is a new way of living, a new life. Um, and then the second one was this idea of slavery. So you were, the law was like a slave master, and they use that illustration all the time through the New Testament. Sometimes it's, it's a schoolmaster. Uh, the law was sent there to direct you, to guide you. Uh, and so we talked about the threefold use of the law, that, that, that the, the law is to drive people to their need of a Savior. So it, it, it shows us our sin. The law also uh, gives us a picture of the holiness and the purity of our God. And the law also um, gives us a structure of how to live. So part of our assembly is how do we live? How do we do church together? How do we, as a, as a connected body of believers across the continents, how do we do church? How do we, what rules do we hold ourselves up to? Um, so the threefold uses of the law. And I asked you last week, and I want you to do it this week and the next two weeks, to ask yourself this. Do I really want to learn about sin? It just, it's just kind of bothersome. Do I really want to learn about it? Do I want to know what it is? Um, are you concerned about the way you live and you believe and you act? Have you acted sinful? Is that something that crosses your mind? Um, do you understand and even know the law of God? As a Christian, are you even familiar with the Ten Commandments and what those, those mean? Do you think about such things? And I invite you to do that. And, and I, I, the, the third illustration was um, the illustration of marriage. You're, 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 uh, you are free, as the scriptures would say, uh, when a spouse dies, you're free from that. And he says, and, and through, through the law, you died, and, and now you are remarried to the gospel. You're remarried by grace to God. Um, and so I, I went with that illustration last week and, and talked about that. When you're in relationship with a person, 
that person has a set of rules. All right, they have a set of rules. And Tammy and I joke about this, as you know, she'll have rule three, subsection B, paragraph two, and Roman numeral I. Um, the rule about sweaty clothes, right? I, I learned that rule about sweaty clothes. I'm not afraid that I'll go to hell if I uh, put my sweaty clothes and the hangers turn the wrong way around. Actually, that was my rule, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I made one rule. Um, but, but I learned that not because I have to stay in relationship, but I learned that because I delight in her. I delight in her. And so I want to know it. And so, Christian, I invite you to do the same with God's law. This is what our God loves. And as we think about our life, this is where we're going. And um, so there are, there are normally two motivations uh, for a Christian life. The negative motivation is uh, to save us from hellfire and brimstone. And I think that is a good motivation. I think if the average human was to see one minute of hell as it is described in the scriptures or Dante's Inferno, they would spend their entire lives seeking a way to have their sins removed. If they had one grasp of where that leads, they would spend their entire lives trying to figure out how to get their sins removed. But there's also positive motivation. The average person was to experience one minute in their exalted, glorified state with Jesus. They would most likely spend their entire life longing for that moment and find joy and patience in offering others the same great news. So I titled the sermon, Ignorance Was Bliss. Um, and it only really affects the negative side. The ignorance of God's law was bliss. And you've heard me talk about my friend Jack, who came to know the Lord in California and his past. Uh, Jack used to always use the Lord's name in vain, not as a cuss word, but he would just say, oh God, all the time. And I was such a kind of a, I don't know, uh, no backbone pastor. I thought eventually he's going to figure that out. Well, one other man in our church said, hey, Jack, you know, you really shouldn't say that. You know, you shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's using God's name in vain. And Jack came up to me and goes, hey, pastor, you know when I say, oh, God, all the time? I said, yeah. He goes, that's using the Lord's name in vain. Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I'm sorry, Jack. I, I should have told you. I said, I, I, I tend sometimes to fall, uh, fall into the, I want people to be happy with me. Uh, and it's not a good place for a pastor, minister of the gospel, or your friend. When I say ignorance was, was bliss, Romans takes us to the point, and in our text, we'll see the law takes us to a point where he says, uh, the law came to me and it killed me. And um, ignorance was bliss until we realized how far outside the law of God we were living. And the law of God takes us that point where it slays us like everything is laid open and bare before the eyes of the God to whom we give account but of course our text ends with because of the gospel the law is holy and beautiful and righteous Jesus says in John 8 I'm the light of the world Jesus says to the Jews who believed him in verse 31 if you abide in my word you're truly my disciples you'll know the truth truth will set you free. This is the truth of God's word, Romans 7, verses 7 to 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. 
What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The introduction, I have child-proofing a home or home-proofing a child. That probably makes sense. I probably don't need to explain it too much, but I want you to think of the law maybe in that sense. There's probably three ways to deal with your home when you have a toddler. Now, it was interesting, this last weekend, uh, we went to visit our grandson, top-tier baby. Top-tier. They make good kids. Yeah, they need to make about eight more. Uh, and he just started crawling, and he crawls turbo mode, you know? And if you put your legs there, he goes into four-wheel drive, and he'll crawl right over those things. And um, there's, there's ways to child-proof your home. Um, and, and sometimes a family will do this. They will remove anything that the kids shouldn't touch. Uh, they make it kind of impossible for them to break anything of importance or value. The home, in a sense, becomes like a padded room. And it works okay in the home, but then that kid goes to a restaurant. And I'm sure you've seen them. They may be your kids. Uh, they go to a restaurant, and there's just no way. They're, they're not used to like having these boundaries, right? And they're in everybody's business and, you know, uh, makes it a little bit difficult. Um, and in some sense, you've, you've made your home the a place where it's maybe impossible to sin in that manner. Um, but once they're out, they're not prepared. The second way is, and I'll just say this isn't, you know, this isn't a scripture. This is just a pastoral good idea, okay? Jamie and I decided that we would do kind of a modification Right? We would remove stuff that was irreplaceable. For a season, we'd remove something that we just, and if, if, if that falls over, if that's lost, that's going to be terrible. But we would purposefully leave things out that our kids weren't allowed to touch. They're not allowed to touch that. Why? Because I said so. Why? Did I have to repeat myself? Because I said so. Um, our, our thoughts were, we need to raise our kids to learn to obey. And there were moments in our kids as they were, as they were you know, running across the street, you had to say, Jordan, stop. I didn't have to explain it to him. I didn't have to give him a chance to reason whether uh, this idea is a good one or not. I needed him to know to stop, right? So that was kind of our philosophy. Um, the third one is let them do whatever they want. Um, you know, you kind of hover around them and, and just you're, you're watching them as they go and like, no, don't do that. Okay, okay, your turn. I got to go to the bathroom, right? You've seen that, just, just like the hovering around. And that, and that gets exhausting. And so you'll see a parent that's just absolutely exhausted um, because it's trying to, 
keep them safe. Um, now, that way does seem ridiculous, but I, I do think that part of our culture is moving that way. That there seems to be a, a mindset at times that we don't, we don't want to tell our children what is right or what's wrong. We don't want to tell them not to do this or not to that. This is bad. This is good. Um, and uh, to them, in some sense, the law is oppressive. It's sinful. How could you, you know, break the, you know, the mind or the heart of a child? Um, and... Uh, you know, you remember me telling you about the time my son, my oldest son, was like, uh, you know, Dad, I feel like you're trying to control my life. And I said, oh, that's so good, because I am. And his face went, what do you, what do you mean? That didn't work like I thought. I said, of course I'm trying to control your life. I'm responsible for you, son. I'm responsible for you until that moment you move out and you're on your own, and i got to answer to God for your care and your protection and your training. Um, so you can home-proof, uh, uh, you can child-proof a home, but um, I think home-proofing a child is the best way to go. And I want you to think about that as we talk about this use of the law. There, there, there is a push in our society to um, really law-proof Christianity. Um, and, and because because Christianity for for a long time was really it, the, the gospel just keeps uh, keeps getting filtered out over the years, and and pastors and parents they get frustrated with behavior uh, that it becomes legalistic, and we all fight against that right it, this this legalism, and and, and it's we're it, we're kind of hardwired for that. God's only going to love me if I do good. Um, and I, I can't ask him for something because I did bad. Uh, and so we, we, we just kind of hardwired to move into uh, my relationship with God is always based upon me keeping his rules. And so um, the church that says, no, his, his grace is so wonderful. His grace is bigger than your sin uh, can uh, maybe even accidentally not talk about sin and not treat it as something that's awful that wants to deceive you, that wants to kill you, that wants to take life away. And so the relationship of a Christian with the law and a specifically what a Christian does when they feel um, convicted by the law is really the heart of chapter 7. So it's, it's important that we understand it. It's the reason I'm taking four weeks with it. Um, the sermon in the sentence this morning is in the Christian's life, the law doesn't sin-proof us but it leads us in sanctification. And so when I encourage you to know the law, it's primary for all three uses. We strive to keep it, to apply it, to love it, to know it. Um, but the knowledge of it doesn't keep us from sinning and breaking it. Let me say that again. The knowledge of the law, it, it doesn't keep us from breaking it. And uh, again, all those years as a youth pastor, parents would come up to me and they'd say, hey, you ever taught our kids on how to obey your parents? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have. But let me tell you this, me teaching them doesn't change their hearts. It should convict them. It should, it should lay out uh, a, a, a picture or a path of what life should look like. But uh, 
knowledge alone without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit doesn't change us. Um, and in a Christian's life, uh, the law won't sin-proof us, but it leads us in sanctification. It doesn't keep us from sinning or breaking it. Um, and so in, in this section, you know, Paul is, is still doing that, that didactic approach of asking questions and answering. And so he starts in seven. What do we say? Is the law sin? And that's been his common response throughout this letter. By no means, no way, God forbid, of course not. The law is not sin. But he says, here's what the law is to do. The first thing in verse seven, the law reveals or defines sin. When you ask yourself, what's wrong with me? Or most likely, what's wrong with other people? What's wrong with this world? What's wrong is sin. And God's law reveals it. And I say this over and over again when we do our time of confession, that the beauty of living with Christ in the gospel is he reveals sin to cleanse us of sin. He reveals sin to wash it away. He reveals sin because it's an old slave master. It's the old spouse that wants to rule us. He reveals it primarily so that he can remove it. But we don't know what the sin is without the law. The law reveals sin. As a scan for cancer or pneumonia or kidney stones, it shows us, it teaches us, it points it out to us. But as a scan for cancer or kidney stones or pneumonia, it may not be a pleasing thing. We may not like it. We don't like to know what's wrong with us. We don't like to know how we have failed. And especially if you don't grasp that your relationship with Christ with God is through him, then it makes it, it makes it fearful. But the law is to define it. Is the law sin? No means. Yet if it hadn't been for the law, he said, I wouldn't have known sin. And then he takes one sin, he takes the 10th commandment, the very last commandment, and says, let me show you how it works. Now, I think it's purposeful, of course it's purposeful, but he takes the 10th commandment because the 10th commandment is the one that's uh, impossible to keep. You just don't keep it. Sorry, all of you have coveted. All of you will covet. And I, I've said it before, it's the most accepted sin in our society, and it is painted as fairness. It's just coveting. And so he says, the law tells me not to covet. And coveting is a sin. And I've shared this before, but Jake, if you're going to do Sunday school class and there's eight kids and you bring six candy bars and you give it to the, the last six that show up, not the first two that are there that have done their homework and that have uh, gone to bed early, they didn't stay at a friend's house, um, they're not lounging, trying to fall asleep, they're there, they're ready to learn, you know, uh, but you give it to the other six. Now, that would be worse for those other two than if you'd given none of them candy bars. Right? If you'd given none of them candy bars, they would all have been just happy. They'd have been fine. But the fact that you would bestow something upon one arouses in the others this sense. This isn't fair. There is a coveting. And the reason that the 10th commandment coveting is, is at the bottom because to, in order to keep the commandments, you start at the top. You have no other gods. You have no other idols. You have no images. You keep his day. Uh, and they all work down. And, and then sin works backwards. You covet, and it leads to breaking all the other 
commandments. And so he says, I wouldn't know what sin is until it said, do not covet, right? We just drove back from St. Louis. I sinned driving back from St. Louis because there's a sign that says speed limit 75. And you know what I did? I did 82. Why did I do 82? Because I'm a sinner. I, I, I was thinking about something driving back. Like, here it is. It's posted up there. Uh, you know, if I get pulled over, I can't say, officer, listen. Everybody else is doing 82. Some joker was doing 90, and he was pulling a trailer all over the road. What about him? I'm not as bad as him. Doesn't matter. I can't say, I don't feel like 75 is right. I just, I just don't identify with 75. It ain't going to work. The law reveals sin. And we do all of those gyrations to get under that curse of that law. Other people are worse. It's not that bad. I'm just going a little over it. I'm so much better than everyone else. He says, I wouldn't have known. He says it twice. And he's emphasizing that point. I don't, the, the law actually defines it. In chapter, uh, the end of, of chapter three, uh, as he's explained that there's no one that is, that is going to stand before God on their own righteousness, that no one has an excuse. He says in verse 23, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And so coveting addresses this inward heart condition, and, and it's, it, is, um, it is the hardest for us to keep. Um, and all the other commandments at times, they, they seem keepable. I don't worship idols. You know, we'll say that I don't worship idols. I don't have Moloch or an Ashtoreth in my garage. I, I don't worship idols until we understand what idolatry is. I don't murder until we understand the positive side of what that calls us to do. I don't steal, but we covet. Now, I want you to know that you, you should expect this when you study God's Word. When you open God's Word, you should expect. I'm going to read things that convict me. But praise God, I, I am in a relationship with him. That the convictions, the pointing out, he doesn't do it to rub my face in it and say, you're not worthy, you're not worth this, you're not. No, he doesn't. He, he does it as a coach would point out a flaw in the way you shoot your free throws. I love you, and, and I am about the business of making you better. I'm going to. I'm, I, I loved you, and I knew these things. You, just today you learned about this sin. Just today uh, you, you were convicted of this. Do you know that I knew you before you were created in your mother's womb? And I knew we would have to face this. And I chose you anyway. I chose you to be mine. Do you know that when I point things out, I glorify myself in changing it, in fixing it? So we've got to expect it. That's going to happen. The law is going to reveal sin. So ignorance was bliss. There are things that we did that we didn't know were painful or harmful. Um, I had an a, a assistant youth director, a young lady with giant red hair. Big, she looked like the Miss Frizzle from the school bus. Magic school bus, whatever that was called. Uh, and... Um, she was wonderful, just wonderful, delightful to our young ladies. 
and me going off script, as I often do, gets me in trouble. Started calling her the big red youth mama for a couple years. And then one day one of her roommates said, you know, Mark, you shouldn't ever call a woman big. I'm like, oh, she doesn't mind. Oh, she minds. <laughs> and I was just struck with this sadness because I'm like, I have been hurting this person who I admire, who I am thankful for, who I am glad loves our youth. I've been hurting her for two years. The law reveals sin. I'm glad that I knew. I'm glad that I was able to go and apologize. And I was glad that someone did the work of telling me. Um, the law reveals it. Now here's what's interesting. Uh, the second thing in uh, verses 8 and 9, the law provokes sin. Um, when you're told not to do something or watch something or say something or look at something, we immediately want to do that thing, see that thing, look at that thing. The worst is my daughter, Anna. If you're sitting at a restaurant and somebody comes by and they have two heads, you know, or something crazy, and you're like looking at them, and you just, I have to look at my daughter and say, whatever you do now, Anna, do not turn your head. And she's like, <laughs> she just can't not look. And I'm like, okay, subtly, honey, subtly, you know, get up and turn around. This person, you know, this person, uh, you know, it looks like Phil Collins, or this person, you know, that, that there's President Joe Biden is, is, is behind you, but, but just don't do it subtly, right? And that's what he's saying, that, that sin actually, and he, 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 he words it in such a way, this is why we've got to take this time on it, as, it, as if it's some living thing inside you. He says, it provokes Right? And we all know that. We, 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 just, we just really, really do. If you're in a house and you're renting a VRBO and they say, don't enter into this room, what are they saying? Enter this room. Well, we better put a lock on it. Right? Because there's just that part of us, you know, in a beautiful garden with everything we need. The tree of life in this beautiful garden. God says, don't eat from that one. Don't eat from that one. And sin provokes. Seizing an opportunity. St. Augustine talks in his confessions. He tells a story as a young boy just stealing pears. And he didn't even want the pears. He didn't want the pears. He later feeds them to pigs. And he just writes, was it possible to take pleasure in what was illicit for no reason other than it was not allowed sin uh, the law it, 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 it provokes sin why do people who don't believe in Jesus or believe in God use his name in vain all the time sin is provoked by the law and we have to be careful because again in our culture every kind of B rated movie there's the uh, you know there's the there's the there's a pretty young lady, and uh, there's the guy who's supposed to be the hero, and usually you'll have this. She'll say to him, "Would you always follow the rules? Really? You don't ever think for yourself? 
It's become, in our society, rule-breaking, going outside the law, going against culture, going against, going against uh, even tradition. It's become this cool thing, right? You even hear young ladies like, I'm kind of attracted to the bad boy. And I'm like, yeah, wonder how it's going to be to be married to the bad boy. Will you like it when he breaks those rules? Will you like it when he just doesn't let anybody tell him what to do? I don't think so. But that's what sin does. It, it sees the law and it provokes us to that. But then in order to be justified, the law has to do what he says twice in here. The law kind of, it has to do in us, we have to be convinced that the law brings, uh, the, I'm sorry, that sin brings death. And when we grasp that, it, it becomes easier. It, it's not just me telling my son, stop, don't cross. Our, our God starts to reveal, uh, and he gives us a lifetime of this, the results of sin left unchecked. The result of avarice, ego, pride, lying, infidelity, idolatry. He gives us a lifetime to observe this, and, and his word will be proved in every life. Sin leads to death. And the loving Christian church doesn't take sin and then try to define it down, 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 down to where all it really, the only thing we can really agree that is sinful is maybe hurting a dog. Right? I mean, it's interesting. You ask, what's right or what's wrong? Well, what's wrong for you? What's right for you? Um, the, the, the Christian does it, and, and Jesus says this, we do it first with ourselves, right? He says, you've you got to take the plank in your own eye. We do it in relationship. Christian doesn't preach the law to a culture without God and say, you should follow God's law like we do. No, we say, God's law and my breaking of it led to my death, my repentance, and my life in Christ. I love the law. I believe it is wise, and it is useful, and it guides us in all things, but it is not my Savior. Um, so the last thing, uh, the law condemns sin. Verses 10 to 12, the very commandment that promised life produced death. Since he's an opportunity through commandment, it deceived me and through it killed me. The law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law defines, it provokes, but it also condemns sin. And so there'll be lots of discussion over this, uh, especially in these next two sections where he just says it, it's sin that's in me. It's not me. Um, this wrestling of self. And um, I had said at the beginning of this section that, that um, before Christ enters your heart, before you are saved, you're in a battle with sin, but it is a sin. Uh, this is Tim Keller. It is, a, it is a battle that you can't win. It has control over you. It is directing you. Uh, you're, in a, you're in a battle with it. You have no idea, though, where it is leading you to. It makes up uh, false lies, false futures. It promises uh, a good life. Um, when you come to Christ, you are in a battle again with sin. But it's a battle you will not lose. Christ will be triumphant. 
with his people. Multiple times, if you know my son Jordan, you know that he is a party wherever he goes. There's always a crowd with him. Uh, we went to Tulsa Tough, and there he is with all these people and all these kids and everybody. You know, that's just, that's just Jordan. He always had a crowd with him, and in our house, there was always a crowd, and I dealt with him differently. I was harder on him than I was on the other kids that were in our house. He was my son, and I loved him. He had the Spirit of God living in him, and the expectations were different. The law condemns sin, but it is holy. The commandment is holy. It is righteous, and it is good. You cannot sin-proof your life. All right? And, and Christians, we, we really, really have to work on this. We have to be willing to be confronted. I have to work on this. I need to tell my blessed brother Jack, you probably shouldn't say God in that way. And you know what? I get afraid because I think they're going to be offended. And um, we have to let that go. If we're offended by our sin coming out in the front of others or being, then what we're saying is not that we don't believe what that confession said. It's Jesus plus my good works. It's Jesus plus now that I'm with him, I keep his law. It will never be Jesus plus. It is always we can't sin-proof our lives, but we can law-proof it. When we don't give the law the power of our salvation. We law-proof our life by living in grace with the holy, righteous, good, life-giving law of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the sacrament this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you that Christ uh, reminded us that we would do this often. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be students of your law, that it would be a guide to us, that we would see its beauty, that we would not see it as something that you put in there to restrict happiness. But Father, you put it in there and gave, gave it to us to promote life and joy fulfillment. We would not fall into the trap that the enemy has used since creation of saying, this law stands because God is withholding something good from you, but that we would know to break your law leads to death. And it leads to estrangement from others. So that when we break it, Lord, that we would thank you for showing it. When a brother or sister kindly, gently instructs us, we would not take it as an affront, but we would see it for what it is. It is the loving brother. As your word says, precious are the stripes from a friend. We would know and trust and live in this gospel unity with one another. And that we'd be excited about the work of sanctification that you are doing. Set apart these elements now, Father, for holy use. That as we eat the bread that we might fully grasp Christ's body was broken in our place. And it is though every sin that you show, it, it, it makes that body more precious to us. And his blood was spilled in our place. And so when we are full of conviction, it is not to make us feel guilty or to even punish ourselves, 
but to rest that his blood was shed and it was sufficient. We ask this now in Jesus' name.